When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From the Alex Trebek stage at Sony Picture Studios, this is Inside Jeopardy! Hello and welcome back to Inside Jeopardy, your exclusive and official podcast destination for all things happening in the world of Jeopardy. I'm Sarah Foss and I'm joined today by Buzzy Cohen in this middle of October. You know, it's feeling... Yeah. It's feeling fall-like and... We know it's just a couple weeks away. Well, yeah. So uh, our friend Lily posted that we should do a, a group costume with yes. you as Barbie, obviously, and Ken <laughs> and I as rival Kens. I mean, we could get Simu and Michael Sarah. Yeah, in, they're friends of know, the show. Alan. I think they would participate. Yes, actually, at yesterday's taping, Ken was sharing with the audience because people wanted to know, you know, what are you going to be for Halloween? And he said, well, my friend just gave me this sweatshirt. I am Knuff. So he was thinking maybe he would wear that. And of course, I said, Ken, do you have that sweatshirt? Is this a real story? He's like, yes. I'm like, do you have it with you right now? And he said, no, it's back home. I said, please bring it next week. I need to see it on you in person. Then, of course, I saw someone posted it. I said, you didn't tell me it was out there in the world. It was practically going viral. He's like, I don't think anyone's quite seen it. But Lily had seen it. Of course. Eagle-eyed Lily. Well, this reminds me. Are you Knuff? I'm definitely not Knuff. But this you'll rem- make a good Ken. I'll make it. I'll maybe I'm Alan. I think I'm. <laughs> oh, you know what? I think that works. I really think that works. Maybe Michael Sarah can loan you a costume. Exactly. Well, this reminds me though. I I, I want to say I've been remiss, but I haven't been here in a while. It is time for us to announce the second annual Deathly Double Jeopardy Halloween costume. You've got two weeks. Please. Plenty of time. Plenty of time. Last year, our winner was. Johnny Gilbert reads rap lyrics, which was so incredible. Good. There were tons and tons of super fun costumes. One of my kids actually dressed up as me. Yes, it was good. With a lect- podium lectern. As a surprise to you. As you a, didn't I even did know. not know. She and my wife organized it without me knowing. But anyway, if you are out there and you are doing a Jeopardy theme costume, or you're thinking, what should I do for a costume? And you get a Jeopardy theme as an idea, post it with the hashtag DeathlyDouble. And we will consider it for our contest. As our avid listeners know, the prize. It's big. A photograph (laughs) of Ken Jennings signed by Buzzy Cohen. Very, very rare. This will now be the second one in existence on planet Earth. More people have stepped foot on the moon than have photographs of Ken Jennings signed by Buzzy Cohen. Well, I'm just happy that you appointed me to be Barbie because, you know, last year I went as you and I had to put on the wig and... You know, I couldn't quite pull off the look quite like you, but I think this is going to be fun. So, yes, get your photos in. We want to see them. I think this is a fun tradition here. And with a prize like that, wow, I mean, people are going to be flocking. I'm not sure what I'm doing yet. I I do not have a Halloween costume, but now that we're talking Deathly Doubles, some things are running through my head. Your family doesn't have their costume ready? The kids do. Okay. The kids do, but I have yet to decide where I am because usually we do kind of a whole family theme, but one kid wants to do one thing, one kid wants to do another thing. So the theme, there are fractures. There's uh, okay. fractures in the theme. So I think I'm going rogue. This could be our last year of everyone being united on the theme, but 
it's it's coming together. All right, well, another busy week for us here at Jeopardy! In JPT, Jeopardy! production time, we're coming off the heels of another exciting celebrity Jeopardy! taping. Four full hours of celebrity fun yesterday. I'm not tired. And in Jeopardy! airtime, JAT, of course, last week we saw the last of the quarterfinal games in our first group of champions, wildcard competitors, and the first semifinal game for that group. And then in primetime, we aired Celebrity Jeopardy! quarterfinal game number three with Christopher Maloney, Sherry Shepard, and Katie Nolan concluding with a dramatic tiebreaker, something you often don't see in Celebrity Jeopardy, but I can't wait to highlight each of those games coming up in a bit. As promised, too, later in the show, we're going to switch things up as I am interviewing you, Buzzy. Oh, my gosh. The hard-hitting questions. (laughs) They're coming. So stick around for that. I know that we're also going to ask some of the questions that you have sent in. So won't want to miss that. But right now, it is time to take a look back at this week in Jeopardy history. We're going back, not too far back. We're headed back to season 38. Connie, let's go over to you. What did you come up with? What are the Jungle Books? I'm sorry, no. What's that gonna cost you? $11,000, that leaves you with $200. Now, we go over to our champion, Jonathan Fisher. What did you come up with? What are twice told tales? Unfortunately, that's not correct. Correct response, What are the just-so stories? What's that gonna cost you? Wow, a very conservative bet. That takes you down to 23,700. Again, you are our Jeopardy! champion with a five-day total of $117,700. Congratulations, what a week it has been. We will see you next week and see what happens with our champion, Jonathan. That moment, of course, when Jonathan Fisher secured his spot in that historic tournament of champions. It was Friday, October 15th, 2021, when Jonathan ended his fifth game with a runaway. You know, way to put an exclamation point on your TOC ticket. And that was just days after he had defeated 38-game champion Matt Amodio. Obviously, Jessica Stevens was in that game. And here it was that all three of them end up in the TOC, something I can't ever remember happening in Jeopardy! history. I remember talking to Jonathan right after he clinched that fifth win, and he said, you know, I expected to be a one-day Jeopardy! player, and five days later, it's very cool. I'm sure Jonathan could never have imagined that he'd go on to become an 11-game champion and earn nearly a quarter of a million dollars. Interestingly enough, Jonathan is the longest streaking and highest winning giant killer. You know, often our giant killers... Yes, the curse of the giant yes. killer. You know, Nancy Zerg, she beats 74-game champion Ken Jennings. One and done. Well, I remember you telling me, Sarah, that after his win, he wasn't even aware that there was a qualifying number for the TOC. Right. He was so in the moment. He was so <laughs> in the moment. And I actually remember that when I lost after my ninth game, it was like, you know, Alex was wrapped up the show and moved on and said, thanks for being here and, you know, nice run, Buzzy. But later, when I actually watched myself lose, they had gone back and retaped it. So Alex said, he'll be back for our Tournament of Champions. Right. And that was how I found out that I was coming back for the Tournament of Champions. It didn't dawn on you after nine It didn't nine dawn wins? on me. It did not dawn on me. Wow. Well, it just proves that in that moment, so much is happening. Yes. And nine-day Jeopardy champion. I can't even begin oh, to so, muster. Well, we're going to dig into it later today. How that would feel. Should we talk about some of the games this week? Yes, let's get into our highlights. We kicked off the week with Phil Hoffman, Cameron Connors, and Lucy Ricketts competing in our sixth quarterfinal game in the Spades group, as we're calling them. 
You might remember Cameron because he lost to eventual 23-game winner and TOC semifinalist and Masters runner-up Mateo Roach. So mm. certainly he was in good company. Yep. And this game was really dominated by Lucy, someone who, when we first announced this competition, a lot of people online were really anxious to see Lucy's return because she had played so well in her original run. She dominated the Jeopardy round. She finished with $10,600 on the strength of a $3,000 daily double. Phil and Cameron were working their way back into contention in double Jeopardy, but a missed $5,000 daily double from Phil, plus a strong finish for Lucy, gave her the runaway win and a secured spot in the semifinals. Yeah, Lucy was definitely one of the people I was looking forward to seeing again because uh, she had played so strong and continued to. And this goes to show sometimes a runaway game is on the strength of your play and some of it is just not making mistakes. You know, if you look at Lucy's double Jeopardy round, six correct and zero incorrect versus her 14 correct in the Jeopardy round, wow. that tells me it's more about not making unforced errors. So true. You know, in final Cameron's response, uh, he didn't know what to say in that moment. But what he said was, who is? Love you guys. I had a blast. Godspeed. Ken asked him about it in the postgame chat. You know, who are you talking to? And he said, that's to all my fellow competitors as well as my family. Everybody has been wonderful. And I think that that final continues a streak of tricky finals in yes. these uh, champions wildcard. Last week, I think I looked and we did not have more than one correct response in each game. And that continues now. This six games with not more than one correct response in final. Well, heading into Tuesday with Morgan Bryles, Joe Velasco, and Robert Kane, this was another great game. Morgan was in control most of it, but then Joe was able to locate the last daily double in double jeopardy. He scores $2,000 to put him back in contention heading into final. Robert then was able to work his way back into contention, so it all came down to that one final clue where Joe, Buzzy, only one to come up I'm with you. the correct response. The trend continues, and he tops off the game with a come-from-behind victory. But I can't think of anything I want to discuss more about this game. I love Joe's win, but I really love Robert's tie. Yes. Anyone that remembers Robert's original run, he came with those flashy bow ties, yep. completely made out of Lego bricks. Well, this time, he upped his game. He had a full necktie, and, you know, Ken course wanted to know more about it he's like so you have to make it a skinny tie and Robert said no no it can be any width any length it's all customizable he even put a tutorial video out on YouTube and so anyone who's looking it's very entertaining I have to say <laughs> I turned it on and I was I was about ready to start building some Legos for my children's collection there's really no limit to where our contestants can surprise us just when you think you've seen <laughs> it all we've got Robert with his amazing Lego necktie people saying he's coming for me Robert, keep coming. I love it. Well, and I have to thank Robert, maybe a contender for best dressed. I mean, mm. certainly most original wardrobe. Yeah. Got to go for that. Not Very that we have exciting. that category, but who knows what we're going to have for categories in the upcoming Jeopardy honors. Feel free to submit anything yeah. that you'd like to see because we're definitely going to expand this season. We want to give yep. out more awards. I want to propose an award for best Sarah. <laughs> what would that even look like? <laughs> you, I just want to give you an award because you're the best. 
Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> I didn't know where we were going with that. I also want to point out Morgan's dance. This she is why does I'm here. <laughs> Sorry. Comedic relief brought to you by Buzzy. Morgan's little dance. You know, she got the first Daily Double, and Ken asked, is that the Daily Double dance? And she said, no, it's the shimmy. Because way back when she played with Katie Couric, Katie Couric called it the shimmy. And so she keeps it going. I remember loving it from her first appearance. I love the shimmy or the Daily Double dancer. Whatever you want to call it, I love seeing contestants having fun up on that stage. And that reminds me, I you know, we didn't get a chance to talk about it, but at some point in the last few months, uh, somebody posted themselves voguing to the Jeopardy theme. So oh, yeah. we got to, you know, there's got to be more interdisciplinary Jeopardy <laughs> stuff happening in the world. I love it. Keep it coming. Heading into Wednesday with Sam Stapleton. <laughs> Why is that funny, Buzzy? I'm just like John Madden. You're like Pat Summerall. You're just getting to I business. And I'm like, Vogue. where do the rats go when they <laughs> blow up the old stadium? I love the Vogue video. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Buzzy brings so much to the table and videos <laughs> like that are just a small sampling of what he brings. All right. Heading into Wednesday, Sam Stapleton, Robert Juan, Carla Fawcett, Sam put on, I have to say, the most dominant performance of the quarterfinals up until this point, ending double jeopardy with an impressive $30,800. Robert actually had a chance to work his way back into contention. He made a big $8,000 daily double wager, but unfortunately unable to come up with the correct response. Already having secured that runaway, Sam responded to final with a, what is even happening right now? (laughs) To which Ken exclaimed, I'm guessing what's happening is you are advancing to the semifinals. Yeah, wow. Congratulations, Sam, on a game well played. All of these contestants, very high correct percentage in the you know 80s to 100. Uh, Sam with no incorrect responses in Double Jeopardy. That's how you do it. And I want to say, you know, we've talked about how we think people should wager bigger. Sam shows why you do that. With that big wager, he forces Robert to go big on that 8,000. Of course, if Robert had been correct, he would have been within striking distance of mm-hmm. Sam. If you are confident in your play, this is how you get yourself to a runaway. And Robert made a smart choice there. You had to. He had to. Had to that was it. the right move. Yes, absolutely. But again, it was Sam's play that forced him of to course. make that move. And Ken Jennings has spoken about how, you know, when he had to play against James Holtzauer, he exactly. was forced to do things that he didn't feel comfortable with. He didn't like doing it, but you have to match the play of who you're playing against. All right, we wrapped up the quarterfinals on Thursday with Steve Clark, Valerie Costello, and Josh Sack. Josh Sack, another one of these players that people were very excited to see come back. I don't know if you remember this, Buzzy, but Josh mm. Sack, three-game champion, going along, comes up against this little guy, Matamodio. I've heard of you him. You heard of him? Oh, my gosh. All right. So that's how Josh ended his initial run. Many people wondered what he could do when he came back. This was another great game, though. Steve and Josh neck and neck most of the game, but Steve able to pull away in double jeopardy, ending the round with a slight lead. Unfortunately, Steve was the only player unable to come up with the correct response in final, allowing Josh to come from behind and get that win. This is Jeopardy, people. Anything can happen. It doesn't matter what your stats are heading in. It's all about what happens within the game. And I think this is our first game that breaks the streak. We had two correct responses, both Valerie and Josh. There you go. Streak is broken. We had a fun category in this game, spooky literature it's with spooky Justin season. Long. It is, although, you know, in the Jeopardy production time, we actually shot this category way back in April before the writers went on strike, before the actors went on strike. 
all planned to go hand in hand with the premiere of Goosebumps on Disney Plus that came out on October 13th, Friday the 13th, so spooky. But again, when it actually came time to put this category into a show, Justin Long, obviously not comfortable promoting anything. Uh So we actually took out his traditional category heading that would say, I'm Justin Justin Long, Long, you know, from the new Disney Plus series Goosebumps, and I'll have clues about some spooky literature. He actually, like, really went into character there, did that. And yet, because of the situation, Mm -hmm. we took that out. And so Ken just introduced the category. But I thought it was spooky. I was just literally today talking to a friend about spooky literature and how it can all or a lot of it can be traced back to the eruption of Mount Tambora in Indonesia. Tell me more. Mount Tambora erupts in Indonesia in 1815, throws up a cloud of smoke and dust into the atmosphere that causes 1816 to be known as the year without a summer. That year, Mary Shelley, Percy Shelley, Lord Mm. Byron, and a bunch of friends are vacationing on Lake Geneva. There's no sun. What do they do? They tell each other spooky stories. And that's where we got Frankenstein and one of their other friends whose name is escaping me, an Italian fellow, wrote a vampire story and he based his vampire on Lord Byron, which was the inspiration for Bram Stoker's Dracula. So an eruption of a volcano in Indonesia gave us basically the gothic novel. Who could have known? I'm just going to bring up something like spooky literature and Buzzy brings the knowledge. Yeah, come for the stats, stay for the fun facts. I love it. Ken had a chance to catch up with our players after the game to find out just how Josh was feeling after that very dramatic come from behind win. Now, Josh, you needed to get that right to come back, and you did. Uh, you seemed very surprised by how that game wound up. I, I, I did. I was expecting you got that right. I, I mean, I that was I. Word Origins is not my best category, so I saw that, but I immediately knew it because of the the nausea and mm. how I'm kind of feeling right now. So <laughs> I made it pretty easy. So that was shocking. So that would be the secret to making Final Jeopardy easier: is ask about things that the contestants are currently yes. experiencing. It's gonna, it would help a lot. Anxiety, <laughs> sweating. I mean, I don't think the home audience would like any of this. No, but, uh, no. Conversion might be very good. Yeah. Well, Josh, you just made it into the semifinals, yeah, so we'll be seeing you very soon. Well done. Thank you. Nauseous is how he described it, Buzzy. <laughs> is that how you ever felt after a win? Uh, I don't think I ever felt nauseous, but I did enjoy that Josh said that he worked out while studying for Jeopardy. That is something that That's I myself like right to do. right from the Buzzy Cohen playbook. Yeah. We'll see how that uh, works for him in the semifinals. We head now into Friday the 13th with our first semifinal game of the Champions Wildcard competition, where we welcomed back Sam Stapleton, Lawrence Long, The Funkle, and Joe Velasco. Lawrence got out to an early lead, but Sam hit his stride in double jeopardy with the help of a $4,000 daily double. He looked to be running away with it, but here comes Lawrence putting himself back into contention on the last three clues of the round. All three players, though, incorrect in final, but wow, what a tough final this was for Lawrence. This was a tough ruling. For those of you listening that may not remember, the category for final was royalty. The clue before his death in 2005, he said he was probably the last head of state to be able to recognize all his compatriots in the street. The correct response, Prince Rainier. Lawrence writes down King Rainier. Oh, this was a tough one, and Ken had a chance to catch up with Lawrence right after the game. Lawrence, that's uh, you were within a hair. I, I don't feel great about that, but we did some research. Yeah. 
Monaco does not style its leaders as kings and queens. Can I ask if they would have accepted, like, no king? Yeah, Rainier. Rainier yeah. would have been fine, uh, in fact. I don't know if you want to know that, but no, now you do. No, you do. It's good. <laughs> it's all good. But yeah, I mean, it's hard to think of another country where the head of state is just the prince. Right. As, as far as, instead of acceding to the king. That was a well-played game by all three of you. It came right down to the wire. Is that how you got to final? You were thinking about a small country where a ruler could know all his subjects? Oh, I knew it immediately. I knew Rainier. Yeah. And I just wrote down king. Husband of Grace Kelly, so he's... Yep. Pretty famous guy. But I, I thought for a second, I was like, because the son is Albert, I thought that he might have had some other, I mean, I, I was in the Grimaldis. You had the right dynasty. Yeah. It's a tough ruling. It's the right ruling. But I think everyone wants when somebody's in the spirit of the right answer, we want to give it to him. But rules are rules. Yeah, I mean, we stopped down taping. We were looking for any reference. If we could find a King Rainier anywhere, in anything to start backing up a case for why it could also be accepted, but we couldn't find anything. And that was the hardest part when Lawrence said, so if I had just said Rainier, yep. would I have That been is one of those correct? cases where, you know, yes. give as little as possible and get prompted for more. I know it's different when you're writing your final yes. Jeopardy clue, but I certainly, I, I remember one case where I said too much and ah. made myself wrong. Yeah. It was a question about Henry David Thoreau's famous book. Of course, it's called Walden. And I put on Walden Pond because it got conflated with on Golden Pond in my brain. And that is incorrect. So just to, you know, say as little as you can when you're when you're up there. Good advice, Buzzy. For life and for Jeopardy. Say as little as possible. Yeah, I'm going to stick to that. (laughs) And I'm going to move right on to the highlights of Celebrity Jeopardy. We're heading back in time to Wednesday night in primetime. Our third Celebrity Jeopardy quarterfinal. Christopher Maloney, Sherry Shepard and Katie Nolan. A little history on the Jeopardy past of Christopher Maloney. Mm-hmm. This is not his first Jeopardy rodeo. No. You know, he first played back in 2006 at Radio City Music Hall. I remember this Celebrity Jeopardy, that whole competition, just being at Radio City Music Hall. He had a runaway. So, of course, with a performance like that, we welcomed him back for the Million Dollar Celebrity Invitational back in 2009, 2010. He came in second place in that game. And so, you know, coming into this game, I like to say he had some Jeopardy stage cred. Mm -hmm. And this was a game for the ages. Katie dominated the first two rounds, continuing her exceptional play in triple Jeopardy, but she missed on two big daily doubles, opening the door for Christopher Maloney, who scored on the last daily double, to close the gap on Katie, heading into final. So here we are. Christopher and Katie both get final correct. But Katie miscalculated her wager. So all of a sudden, it's an unexpected tie, and we're heading in to a tiebreaker. Luck would have it, or at least based on what we had seen in the game, Katie was really strong on the buzzer. So you have to think in a tiebreaker where it's really just the first person to ring in and give the correct response. She would do that. The correct response was, what is bourbon? She gets it for the win. Of course, Katie is a Jeopardy fan. Uh, She has admitted she watches this every night with her fiancé, so she was really beating herself up for uh, that miswagering and even joked, I need some bourbon right now. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, in fact, the stats tell a little bit of a story of a pretty close buzzer percentage between them, but as you mentioned, Katie has a little bit of an edge, a six percentage point edge. For me, the story, though, is Katie's correct response rate, which is almost 90%. It's always great to have a fun tiebreaker, but wow, Katie, great knowledge, and yeah, tightening up a few things, uh, we might be looking at a finalist. 
Yeah, I mean, and Katie tells us she's a big Jeopardy fan. She's also a big Sam Buttry fan. Heck yeah. I mean, she was so excited she was able to say bring it on the final clue. (laughs) Sherry actually responded to the second to last clue, but Ken gave Katie the chance to say, will you bring it, Ken, which she did. (laughs) Another little Jeopardy connection, Andrew He. Yes. tweeted about Katie Nolan because he had actually gone years ago before, you know, the world of Jeopardy entered into his life mm-hmm. to see a taping of her garbage time pod. So he was rooting for Katie to find all six daily doubles in Celebrity Jeopardy. He said, you know, the connections, the Jeopardy family. They're she connected. was close. Four for six. Not bad. Yeah. Maybe it was the Andrew He. Um, that bump. The positivity. The he bump. The he bump. Ooh. Did you know, Andrew, if you're listening, there's a he bump. There is now. That wraps up our game highlights this week. It's time for our host chat segment. And just like last week's, we have another question from one of our Champions Wildcard contestants. This week it comes from Cameron Connors, who asks Ken, do you still have time to do those caricatures? Have you seen my caricatures? Yeah, I actually drew caricatures of my whole senior class. That's true. Are you re-watching those shows on Pluto TV? So those of you who are fans of free ad-supported streaming TV, as we all are, my original run is currently running on Pluto. I don't draw caricatures that much. Often it's like what I'll doodle during a boring meeting, but Jeopardy has no boring meetings compared to my old job. So maybe if we have more boring meetings, Sarah, we'll work on that. You know, maybe that's why, Buzzy, he was so good at writing his name. All those different ways it comes from his history and doodles. Ken actually wanted to workshop my signature because he has a great signature uh, when people ask for autographs. And uh, when we were at Disney together, he started workshopping some ideas. And now I know where that comes from. All right. Well, the time has come, Buzzy. It's time to turn the spotlight <sighs> on you. Let's start out with a hard-hitting question. What's your Jeopardy lunch order here on the Sony lot? I do the uh, salad bar. A romaine base. Okay, just romaine, just one. Just a romaine okay. base. Um, a lot of different vegetables. Mm-hmm. I like garbanzo beans, chicken, no cheese, and uh, some sort of vinaigrette of sorts. Okay. That's my usual order. However, if I know that I'm not playing in the afternoon for some reason, I'll go something a little heavier. Like, you know, sometimes there's like a roasted chicken and vegetables and rice and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, chef but special. Exactly. Exactly. So and that what about is my... a beverage of choice? What are we doing during uh, the day If for I'm beverage? playing, I do uh, unsweetened green tea. Mm-hmm. If I'm not playing, just water probably. Do you need a little sweet at the end or are no. you good? No. I'm not a, I not don't a need the sweet. Guy. All no. right. I have to know <laughs> when did you decide I need to try out for Jeopardy? My story takes us back to the... Ah, take us back. <laughs> take us back. Our story... <laughs> a young no, buzzard I, Cohen. As people who know me know, I have been a f- lifelong fan like so many people. Always wanted to go on the show. Specifically did not try out for Teen Jeopardy or ah. College Jeopardy because I wanted to be on Jeopardy Jeopardy. I said that when I graduated from school in 2006, if I couldn't find a job, I was going to try to get on Jeopardy. At that time, I think you were doing mostly like you send in a postcard and then come in for an in-person school Mm -hmm. so i was like well i could go out because i think you did more of them in california than than in new york so my plan was to come out for one of those that moved on my life moved on i got got a job job. (laughs) i got a job Um, but when i moved out to california my wife and i started hosting oscar parties we were cord cutters and we hosted this oscar party the first year we did it we used the very new abc app worked like a charm second year everyone found out about the abc app and it crashed Mm. and i had to run to target and very quickly get a digital antenna to watch (laughs) 
So I have a digital antenna now, and that means I can now watch Jeopardy. Ah. And so I got back into my habit of 7 o'clock watching Jeopardy, and I saw former Clue crew member Kelly Miyahara saying, take the Jeopardy test, and you could do it at home then. It wasn't the anytime test, obviously. It was a set time. There were three nights right. in a row. With, once a year. It was once a year. Three. There were Mark three nights calendar. in a row. <laughs> and at that point, the show was releasing the answers the next day. And so because I knew what I had responded, I knew kind of roughly how I had done. Uh, and then I waited, and then around... October of 2015 was when I got a call to be an alternate. First time. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, that you made it all the way through the process to being in the pool yes. on your first time out. Yeah, I, I skipped the part where I auditioned, and that, so that, was, that audition was probably in September. And you did that here in Los Angeles. I did that here in Came Los right Angeles here. at the Doubletree. Yeah, the Doubletree. I remember I had a very bad cold, and so I was on a lot of medicine because I really wanted to make a good impression and you know be able to communicate we have that audition tape we've all we do we, we pulled it. that you know that's yeah. that's gold right there buzzy 1.0 still dressed to the nines three-piece suit yeah i was like you know i went in i was like i gotta you gotta stand out it's an audition it's not an entrance exam right so oftentimes for tape days we do always have an alternate mm-hmm. and we usually pick a local alternate yep. and we often say if you come in to be the alternate you know the next taping you will be in the pool, but you've said being an alternate was really an advantage in many ways. I had about a month, I think, between the day that I was an alternate and my tape day because they taped a teacher's tournament and power players in that time. So there was like a long wait, and I really thought like, okay, I was an alternate, I may not be coming back. The way that being an alternate helped me was, first of all, I was much more familiar with everything going on. I had been through a tape day. I had been through a briefing. I had done two uh, rehearsal rounds with right, the buzzer. Right, the alternate does rehearse with all the other contestants. Obviously, they have to be ready, ready to, to jump in. Because we, there was me and another guy were an alternate, and you really don't know which one of you are going to get chosen. So I was you know, trying to get ready to play for that day. The other thing was that my second tape day the rehearsal boards were the same as the day that I was an alternate. <laughs> and I remembered the boards. I remembered where the Daily Doubles were. I remembered very hard answers that were in them. And I just used that so that when we were playing the rehearsal games, and at this point I was a five-day champion, I used it to really intimidate the people who were just coming in. They hear there's a five-day champion, and I'm just playing like my hair's on fire. So In the rehearsal game. In the rehearsal game. But that really does speak to what a good player you are because Alex used to joke and Ken still jokes, you know, go home after people come to a taping, Mm -hmm. mark your calendars and watch this with someone who doesn't know you were here and you're going to know all the answers and, you know, you're going to look so smart. But the reality is many people, it's all about that ability to retain knowledge. And obviously you retain knowledge about things you are interested in. So I can speak for myself that there are many games i am there in the front row i see all the responses yeah and i don't necessarily remember them all so the fact that you recalled where the daily doubles were where the difficult clues were and you were able to recall that that's pretty good uh mental tactic there that you were using against the competition yes look wherever you can get an edge you should take it and you know james james certainly has taken that to the extreme in the gameplay and I also like to take it in other ways as well. So you get the call that you're not the alternate, you're coming yes. in, this is your day. I'm playing. Talk me through that day, you know, which game were you put into and how did that day go for you sure. that first day? So we get in, we sit down and we're told that there is a six day champion mm. 
His name was Andrew Powell. He was a very, very good player. And I got called for the first game up against him. Mm. And he had won in his six days about $170,000, which- That's big money. That was big money uh, for that era of Jeopardy. And I remember sitting down in the makeup chair and Sandy was doing the contestant makeup. And I was like, this guy's pretty good, huh? She's like, yeah, he's really good. And I just (laughs) looked at her in the mirror and I said, you know what? Somebody's got to beat him. It might as well be me. And I just went out with that attitude. And, you know, for me, uh, hearing Alex call my name when I'd buzzed in and I said something and he was like, correct. That was kind of it for me. I ended up hitting all three daily doubles in the game, getting them all correct. And I nearly had a runaway in that. But uh, Andrew beat me on the buzzer for the last clue. So that game ends. You're declared a Jeopardy champion that's right for the rest of your life buzzy cohen you will always be a jeopardy champion and i literally walked off stage and maggie speak was the uh, producer in charge of contestants at the time and i said i won a game i'm a jeopardy champion i'm done and she said don't say that go win more and so that's what i set out to do over the next couple games my first five wins were were not very convincing i had just had a lot of lucky breaks i think i was excited to be a jeopardy champion You know, once I had kind of digested that, I think I came back and played much better in my second tape day. Funny enough, Alex came out on the Monday show of that second tape day and said, our champion has had three weeks to rest during the (laughs) teacher's tournament. And you said, aren't those teachers amazing? And uh, how about those power players? They're really something, huh? Of course, I had been there the day before and yes. gone out to dinner with you TV know, Magic, Buzzy. Yes, we call it TV Magic. <laughs> and my brother-in-law and my wife, we had gone out for a dinner. We had planned the dinner to celebrate just me being on Jeopardy, and I couldn't sleep that night. You know, I was going through all of the mis- all the things I had gotten wrong, and things, you know, just kind of reliving the day. And I did not sleep well, but I I still managed to play pretty well that second tape day. Yeah, I mean, you won another four games. That's so right. Yeah, not bad. I have to know about the fashion prep for something like this because you come into a tape day, day one, and they say, please come with five looks. But you are Buzzy Cohen. You come into your tape day. You know you could win five games and you might need five outfits. So how do you approach that? So when I told my dad that I was in the pool, my dad at that time still had his men's clothing store. He was the third generation of owning the store. He made me three custom suits for the... uh, tapings he had my he had my measurements on file so he could just <laughs> get them cooked up and it takes about six or eight weeks to get the suits made so it, it timed out perfectly and I had figured out kind of a couple combinations so I think even though I brought three suits I had four unique looks and my Monday and my Friday were repeats the other thing that was funny was I realized about halfway through the first tape day that I put my underwear on inside out and so I did that again the second day for luck for good luck So what's it like once those shows start airing? It was interesting. You know, I had told my coworkers that factors ready to eat meals make eating better every day easy. When my schedule gets busy, it's nice to have pre-prepared, chef-created, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to my door. With over 35 different options a week to choose from and over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, make your weekly meal planning even more delicious and easy with Factor. Plus, Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. 
Head to factormeals.com slash Jeopardy50 and use code Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. That's code Jeopardy50 at factormeals.com slash Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. I would do something in the intro that we could turn into a GIF, which is how I did the, like, brushing the dirt off my shoulder, which then Alex did. You know, I did, like, wiping my eyebrow, slicking back my hair. And I really thought that people were going to, like, latch on to that. And I remember while they were airing, I was driving stuck in traffic, and somebody going the other way recognized me and did the eyebrow thing. But when the second week of show started airing, when I had runaways... And I would bet zero and do like the funny answers. That was when things really got bigger, like the whole thing and, you know, sort of love me, hate me stuff started happening. Well, and you had interactions with Alex, unlike anything, you know, people had done in the past. That's right. And so was that something you kind of thought about doing going in or was it just in the moment like I'm going to say these things and do these things? Yeah, I think. Having been there for the rehearsal and hearing Alex talk to the audience and all that, you realize he's very aware of all the parodies. He enjoys them. He's got a great sense of humor. And so I felt a little more comfortable kind of being playful in that way and a little bit irreverent. I was always very serious when it came to the gameplay. But when we had those times to have those exchanges, you know, I felt like I had license to have a little bit of fun. And he really enjoyed it. I mean, at one point, you know, I was sort of doing the Sean Connery, the (laughs) Daryl Hammond as Sean Connery thing, you know, sort of egging him on in the final Jeopardy. And I remember talking to him after the game. We used to line up in the front right. of the stage. Come and center chat. stage and yes. I'll stand there and awkwardly like, while we shoot around. And I remember saying like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm just 
having fun, but if you want me to stop, I'll, I'll stop doing it. He's like, no, I love it. Keep doing it. And so it became this thing where every new show he would, you know, beg the other contestants to beat me so that he could be free of, you know, getting ribbed by me (laughs) and stuff like that. Well, we know Alex liked it, but you talked about, you know, love you, hate you. Yeah. What was that like to experience? Because probably for the first time in your life, you'd put yourself publicly and you had to deal with positive and negative comments. Yeah. You know, the first thing I'll say is that my reaction is, you know, certainly an easy one to have when you're a cisgender white man. And so I think that other people who present differently on TV, the kind of vitriol hits in a different way. But I actually found the haters to be pretty entertaining. Uh, (laughs) I don't take myself very seriously. um, And I thought that they were much funnier than the people who liked me. You know, the people who didn't like me were much more creative. I believe it was Reggie Jackson of the Yankees, Mr. October, who said, people don't talk about nobodies, <laughs> you know? So I think I kind of had that approach of like, hey, this is a moment. I really didn't expect it to be as big as it was. And now I think there's been more of that. You know, Austin came on after I was there and he was way zanier than I was. But I was kind of not the first, but certainly one of the first. But I think the combination of the way I did it and my very kind of signature look, I think, just lit people up and it made the ride pretty fun, I think. So you come off of this big ride mm-hmm. and it kind of, I don't want to say dies down, but what is it like yeah. kind of in the aftermath of being someone everyone's talking about yeah. for a few weeks? I mean, there is a little bit of a letdown, but there's also uh, a big thing looming. As I mentioned, I found out that I was possibly going to be in the <laughs> Tournament of Champions. We didn't know when it was going to be. It was less regular in that time. So... There was emotionally, I think, definitely some letdown, which is normal after like a big, exciting high. After your wedding, after any, you know. Yeah, of course. I didn't really linger in that too much, um, but it was a long time. I taped uh, in March of 2016. I aired in April and May of 2016. We didn't tape the TOC until the fall of 2017. So that was almost a year and a half. Uh, yeah, it was about 18 months before our TOC tape. So that was watching a lot of other players, worrying about them, you know, doing better than me because I am very competitive. Every time someone would go on, I'd be like, "Did they? are they going to win more than me? And we did have a bunch of big winners, you know, and I knew that I was Andrew Powell was also going to be in this TOC. Sure. You know, it was this new version of being of getting to be a Jeopardy champion slash internet meme moment. There was a Twitter moment that's like, we're living in a post-Buzzy Cohen world. You know, I got to do interviews with uh, E and GMA and stuff like that. So I, I definitely never expected any of that. So that was incredibly exciting. And I think I savored it. You know, I did not have any bitterness. Of course, I wanted to everyone wants to win more. You know, if you ask Ken right after he had finished his 74 games, he wanted to keep going. We want to keep playing. But uh, I was really proud of myself. Well, now you have to turn your attention. Once you find out you are indeed coming to the Tournament of Champions, what does that look like in your mind? Because I know you're someone who really likes to prepare for things in unique ways. Specifically when I got the call for the TOC, the preparation thing emerged and I reflected I was reflecting on my experience and realized that the way that I had previously prepared to be on the show which was watching the show with a ballpoint pen did not really prepare me for what it was like to be on the show the tape days were long they were not at the time of day that I 
practice, the stress was very, very high. Um, and so I decided to try to recreate as much as I could the experience of being on the show. I'd already ordered uh, Fritz's buzzer, and so I started working with that. I went back to the gym, started asking my trainer to, uh, you know, help me and he would quiz me while I was doing really strenuous stuff to recreate that kind of feeling of like oh my god I'm under so much stress there's no way I can do this and I think that that all of that and and very importantly I started watching the movie Creed once a week that time I was also flying up to the Bay Area once a week for work on the way up I would go through I bought I just bought decks of Trivial Pursuit cards which is you know different but similar material kind of like general knowledge so I would just go through those, and then on the way back after a long day of work and being tired and travel, I would watch Creed. And so Rocky and Adonis Creed were sort of my psychological coaches. Well, we head into the TOC. I think it's, you know, one of the most memorable TOCs. You, Alan Lynn, Austin Rogers end up in the finals. Yes. And you take it all. You I win. Did. Against all <laughs> odds. Yeah, it was very exciting. I, you know, that first game I played, I, I, I played really strong in my quarterfinal game, and I played very aggressively. I really wanted to show that I belonged there. My semifinal game was a very tight game. Um, and then the finals were really kooky. You know, it was like that first game was really hard for me. I had a couple of close rulings that went against me. We all missed Final Jeopardy, and I had bet it all because I didn't have that much to begin with, and I went into that second game with zero dollars. My competitors didn't have a ton because they had also gotten it wrong, but there's still something about starting at zero that yes. is very challenging <laughs> psychologically. But we I use had... your story still today to give people hope. Yes, exactly. Look at Buzzy Cohen. He came in after day one of a two-day final with nothing, and he won it all. Exactly. And I, you know, that was where the psychological preparation had really helped me. I went backstage. I had all of my outfits figured out. I had four outfits figured out because I knew I would play four games if I went all the way. And I had the the famous now salmon, salmon, oh, the salmon uh, blazer. <laughs> and I just went out there and I was like, you know what? I'm getting $50,000. I'm just going to go have fun. I'm going to play the best I can. And, you know, I had a runaway in that game, but I did not have an overall runaway. But we all missed final. And because of my position, I was able to be the champion. And uh, that was just an unbelievable moment. And I kept the um, note card that the contestant people gave us with the scores from the first day. Yes. The scratch paper, the, if you will. Yeah. So they were like, to can, help you with your math yeah. here, if you need a reminder of what the first day scores were while you calculate your <laughs> second day final wager, I kept it because I just wanted to, you know, like remind myself it's not over until it's over. You can always come back. Well, with that in mind, you end TOC and, you know, there isn't a clear path for return. You had obviously no. seen that there were these, you know, mega competitions yep. we would have every several years. But did you think, you know, being a, a person of optimism that you would be back someday on the now Alex Trebek stage? Or did you think maybe you had played your last game? Every time I went to Jeopardy, I thought I had played. That was my last game. I never assumed that I was coming back. That mindset helped me stay focused and play my best because I was just like enjoy it this is it this is your last time you get to play Jeopardy so we fast forward to all stars okay something that you know some people love some people didn't love but it was this first ever team approach yes. and you're chosen along with five other champions as a captain yep I was your team producer that's right you were my team producer that was how the friendship began yes and I got to get an inside look at just the lengths you will go to yes talk about just just the depth of Yes. Of tactics you yes. went to. Well, so we had a um, 
a draft, and I also have my second child due. You will remember this because it was a yes. very touch and go. Literally, and the, this was a draft. Unlike most things we do in Jeopardy time, live. this was live on Facebook. Alex yes. Trebek live, Facebook live. We're doing the draft live, so you don't have the option of like taping this months in advance. We have six captains, twelve team members waiting to be selected. Yep. And Buzzy's got a baby very close to. So yeah, arrival. I think my <laughs> baby was due on the day of the draft. But, you know, babies never come when they're due. So we had multiple contingency plans. We had one where if the baby, if for whatever reason I was at the hospital and couldn't come in, we were going to do like a FaceTime kind mm-hmm. of like I was yes. going to zoom in or let you know where things stood and who you could pick from at that point. Exactly. Yeah. 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 If we were in it, really in it and I couldn't FaceTime in, I had an auto draft organized. So I had to probably be a little more prepared than some of the other captains. And I actually um, had dinner with Louis Vertel, who had become a friend of mine and is a great fan of Jeopardy and game shows in general. So I was kind of asking him, you know, who, you know, what he thought. And so I, I put together my auto draft um, and I ended up, when we had the draft, we each selected randomly who would get to go. And I picked Alex Jacob, who I just thought was such an incredible player. And he was the one who really helped me push the studying further and then I pushed all the other preparation stuff further so uh, I was doing a ton of flashcards with his help Um, he he really showed me a a better way to do that but then also I was still doing all the gym preparation I also um, borrowed some stuff from the NFL where you also have a similar thing to the buzzer right if you go off the line too early you get a penalty I shifted how I prepared with the buzzer I, I just totally revamped it and It didn't culminate, but there was a a big moment where my team met up in Denver and spent like 48 hours just playing. I think we played 51 games of Jeopardy over that weekend. So we got a lot of um, stats, a lot of experience. Uh, We were able to talk through scenarios. Sometimes we'd stop the game and talk about daily double wagering or final. We would switch scores and start playing from someone else's position and stuff like that. And despite all that time and effort... (laughs) What we learn is it's Jeopardy. It's Jeopardy. Anything it's a game. can happen. It's yeah. a game. One clue, one daily double can put you out of contention, and your yeah. team didn't end up advancing. Yeah, we didn't make it finals. to the finals. We had a tough break. So once again, you leave the stage not knowing if you would ever come back. And when we taped All Stars, we also didn't know about Alex's diagnosis. That's right. It was, at that point. it was a few months before his diagnosis. You know, and I, I remember talking to Ken. There was a big rap party, and I remember talking to Ken afterwards. Like, you know, if I had won this or my team had won this, there's a chance of me coming back. But you know, we didn't do that great, so I don't, I don't know. And he's like, No, I think you're kind of the new breed as Brad and I get a little bit older, and you know, you and Austin, you know, these kind of big characters, or whatever. Uh, None of us saw James coming, really. But um, (laughs) no, I I hoped that I would come back as always, but I thought there was a good chance that I would be done. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, I had to do some paperwork for All Stars that, you know, sometimes there's some paperwork I had to sign. And one of the contestants. If you want to get paid. If you want to get paid. (laughs) One of the contestant people said, hey, why don't you come in? We're taping today. Why don't you come in? And they told me that because James was on and they wanted me to see him. And so I got to see him win you know, $100,000 or $130,000, and then just a few In weeks, one game. In one game, uh, which blew my mind. I remember giving him a standing ovation because I was just so impressed. So then I was, like, a little less excited about coming back to play. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, a few weeks later, Alex's diagnosis came out, and that was really, you know, hard. I, he was just, you know, someone I've always 
admired, looked up to. And then the little I'd gotten to know him, I, I really felt even more warmth towards him. I think we all just wanted to relish the time that we had left with Alex. Yeah, the times when champions would come back to see him. Yeah. I think it meant so much to him and it meant so much to all of you just yeah. to, to be in that space yeah. with him, uh, knowing that there would never be anyone like him and yeah. to support him in that journey, which we all watched. And uh, a bunch of us put together kind of a scrapbook. Yes. Which, uh, unfortunately, I was traveling when they all came for that, but I came uh, maybe a week or two later with my family and my daughter, who was very young at the time, asked what his favorite animal was, and I said muskox, because I knew that. And she said, I she wrote a card that said, I hope you feel muskox, which I thought was very sweet. But he was so brave in doing that and being so public about it, and yeah. So, ironically, then when you would return to what became the Alex Trebek stage, it would be to stand in as a guest host. Yeah, that of all of the parts of my Jeopardy experience, that one is probably the most surprising. And, you know, as the guest host thing started going, I was like, okay, you know, Ken had already been a part of the show, but looking at everybody who is guest hosting, Katie Couric, Aaron Rodgers, Mayim Bialik, I was like, they already have like a former player. There's no way. I, you know, I kind of moved on. And then I get a phone call from Sarah. When I saw the call, my first thought was like, oh, they're going to do some sort of like former player kind of docu ode to Alex. And then you were like, hey, so we want to know if you want to host. And I was like, oh, my God. And I like I remember running down the stairs after our phone call telling my wife, you know, I said, all right, let's do it. And we did a practice run through. You told me later that your feedback was, he's coachable. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that... I, I always say it pretty straight, Buzzy. I yeah. say it pretty straight. Yeah, well, I didn't have any experience. You right. know, you've got tons of experience. And I, you know, I think I did as as good a job as I could do. And I really thank you for all of the time that you put into helping me prepare. I learned so much from you uh, in a very short amount of time. We did not have a lot of time to prepare. It was a boot camp of sorts. It was a boot camp. <laughs> we, we, we spent a lot of time. I mean, we probably twice a week got together and practiced and I watched back our practices our zooms to like kind of remind myself of all the things that I wanted to do and so uh yeah that was that was just like such a dream come true well and from then on we kept pulling you back in. yes and now I mean Michael Davies jokes would you be able to compete he says maybe you know but we watching the Jeopardy family you I can't, love being you in can't the Jeopardy go away family. it's such a wonderful thing to be a part of I'm thankful to be a part of it because I know how important, you know, just appearing on the show was for me. And I love that that's happening for tons of people all the time. You know, even, you know, like a second chance, like we talked to David Maybury, like he gets to be a Jeopardy champion now and how much that means to him. And so I'm very, very proud to be a part of this. And um, I'm very honored that the community here at the show, the production community, as well as the fan community has sort of like allowed me to be a part of this as, you know, really a part of my life well enough of my questions some of our listeners submitted theirs let's do it patrick asks during your playing days what's the one clue that you got wrong that you wished you had gotten right i mean if i had gotten emma goldman in the finals of the second game of the first round of all stars my team would have made it to the finals so that and that was someone who i knew and i just you know, got caught up in my head. Alex asks, what 
can Buzzy tell us about being a music executive? That's always how he was introduced by Axeman Johnny Gilbert. Yes. But he's never mentioned much about it as far as I can tell. Yeah, so um, I am a music supervisor and I run a company that does music primarily for commercials, but it's I don't really have a title. You know, at the time I was first on the show, I was the managing director of another company. And then in between that and my TOC, I started my own company. And now I've had that company for seven years. So it's like, you know, music executive, sort of an easy catch all because I'm not quite a music supervisor. I also run the company and have people that work for me that are music supervisors or producers or composers. But yes, we do music primarily for commercials. Uh, in the last couple years, we've been doing a lot of work with Airbnb. So if you see those Airbnb ads, odds are I helped either pick or make the music or had the people make the music for that. So I don't actually compose. People are like, oh, so are you like Charlie Sheen on Two and a Half Men, right? Wasn't that the show? He was yes. a jingle composer. I'm like, I'm the guy who hires Charlie Sheen. All right. Thanks for that question, <laughs> Alex. I think that uh, answered a lot of people's question. Steven asks, did Ken Jennings give you any advice for the chase, as he had also served as one of the chasers on the show before leaving the show with you joining as one of the new three chasers? Before I was hired as a chaser, I spoke to Ken about it and just wanted to see what his experience on the show was and all that. And so, but once I was going on to the chase, Ken was very deep in his hosting of Jeopardy. And so I kind of <laughs> wanted to let him, you know, it was sort of early days. And uh, so I let him do that. But I did speak, you know, with James and Brad uh, quite a bit since they were you know, veterans and, and were still on the show. So they were around much more to help me. But Ken was very, enc really encouraged me. He thought that I would be a good fit and that my personality would, would do well with that format. Well, when it comes to Jeopardy, I think you really have done it all. You've been a contestant. You've been a guest yeah. host. You've delivered your own category. Yes. You hosted our very first Jeopardy honors. So looking back on all the different parts of the show you've been a part of, is there one favorite or best memory of your Jeopardy journey? There are a few that stand out at different moments in my journey. Like I said, that first question that I was able to ring in, Alex called my name and I was correct. It was actually about the movie Chicken Run, believe it or not. <laughs> Just that moment really stands out. Winning the TOC was very emotional for me. And then, you know, kind of one of the more recent ones, but guest hosting was just beyond a dream come true. And I remember when I was in it, I was really trying to do a very good job, really for the contestants who I thought deserved a great host. I also was trying to enjoy it as much as I could, just trying to really drink it in. So, you know, those are the three. And I think guest hosting one is certainly the one that feels the most potent to me, but it wouldn't have happened without those other two. Well, who knows what memories still await, Buzzy. The Jeopardy journey is not over. And that brings us to the end of today's Aww. show. We'll be back next week with more game highlights. Buzzy and I are going to be speaking with our first ever Jeopardy! Champions wild card winner. That will all be revealed this Thursday, so be sure to tune in for that. And then join us here next Monday for that special interview. I can't wait. And as always, please subscribe to our podcast. Follow us at Jeopardy! on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube, on TikTok, on Twitter, or X. And email your questions to InsideJeopardyPodcast at gmail.com. We know you've been asking, are you still doing the segment where you answer the questions? We're not going to do it every week, but we certainly want to collect them. And when we get a good group, we promise we're going to bring those answers to you. We'll see you next week. See you then.